0: Welcome to the Retail Focus Podcast, a weekly collection of news, interviews, and information from the world
1: of retail. Welcome to this midweek edition of the Retail Focus Podcast. I'm Trent Kling. Glad to have you joining us today and want to give a big thanks and big shout out to all of our new podcast listeners out there. I was just talking with one of our interviewees last week about the fact that There are a number of new podcast listeners to The Retail Focus, so a big thanks to all of you who have been listening over the five years we've done the podcast and all of the new listeners that have jumped on in the last couple of months. Coming up on today's episode, we've got an interview with John Cheney. He is the CEO and co-founder of Seek. You'll recall a couple of weeks ago, we actually talked about the process behind 3D imaging for e-commerce sites and how... AR really is kind of the next step in terms of using that 3D imaging for e commerce sites. Well, John's going to talk a little bit behind the process behind integrating 3D imaging into AR. He's got some interesting insight as far as file types and file sizes as well, but also making the augmented reality aspects of these retail pages independent from apps to where people don't have to download a specific or bespoke app just to use ar elements from a particular retailer so very interesting interview looking forward to that a little bit later on in the show we'll also discuss a new initiative from chewy in our looking ahead segment first though we'll talk about the big news early in the week and that is the launch of walmart plus before we dive into that a reminder you can like us and rate us however you access us whether that be on apple Podcasts. we're on amazon's platform now so you can tell Alexa that you'd like to listen to the Retail Focus podcast also on just about any other podcast delivery service, including Spotify. Check us out on social media as well, at Retail Podcast. Now, Walmart launched officially this Tuesday, or September 15th, Walmart Plus, and this is something we've known was coming for a little while. They had a precursor program, which we'll talk just a little bit about, but Something the company previewed early this year and something we in turn previewed early this year. They've been mentioning this whether it be on earnings calls or during investor day or during conferences taking place throughout the country. What finally went live on September 15th. So here are some of the details and they shared a lot of the details earlier this month. But just to catch you up if you haven't had a chance to look at the Walmart Plus platform. Customers can sign up at walmart.com plus. The membership is $98 per year. There is, like a lot of other membership programs, a monthly option that costs a bit more of a premium at $12.95 per month. All memberships include a 15-day trial period. Basically, customers can cancel before the 15-day period is up and not be charged. The real question, as always has to do with the benefits of signing up for the service. And that's the question with any subscription service, whether you're talking about Amazon Prime, whether you're talking about Shipt, whether you're talking about any other subscription service. And really, when it comes to the benefits, it was here that the critics wondered what Walmart could bring to the table versus Amazon. Because a lot of these comparisons out there are really a one-to-one comparison between Walmart Plus and Amazon Prime. A lot of the media headlines even this week said, Walmart's now got their own Amazon Prime. Prime has a litany of other services, including Prime Music and Prime Video, that are included with the traditional Prime membership. The main facet of the Walmart Plus program, as with Prime, is unlimited free delivery. This is basically the continuation of Walmart's prior program called Delivery Unlimited. That was launched last year. The earlier program, Delivery Unlimited, was designed for an unlimited number of grocery deliveries in exchange for a similar fee. In fact, the fee was $98.12.95 per month. In this case, though, they've expanded that Delivery Unlimited program to now 160,000 items. And this is the number of items that are same-day shipping eligible. So that's the key to keep in mind. They're promising in-store prices as well, which is important given the price differentials for certain other programs. And CFO Brett Biggs estimated last week that Walmart Plus actually has about 200,000 items that are next day eligible overall. So you're looking at a massive amount of items when you compare this to a program like Target's shipped platform, for example, which is estimated to have anywhere between 60 and 80,000 items available there. So a lot more SKUs in this Walmart Plus program. Now, delivery may be same day in markets where Walmart has hubs capable of doing so. Next day in other markets for certain goods, certain rural markets as well, Shipping times might be a little bit longer. The program actually doesn't promise delivery times on a macro level. So it's not as though they say, hey, all of these 160,000 items are going to be available same day in every market around the country. So they don't promise anything on the macro level, but they do say, hey, a lot of these items are going to be available same day where that service is eligible. Now the company also said that any prior memberships in the Delivery Unlimited platform would convert to Walmart Plus memberships automatically, so something to keep in mind there. They threw in two additional things beyond the Delivery Unlimited program for Walmart Plus. And the second benefit mentioned by the company is scan and go. Basically, customers can use this feature, it gets unlocked in the Walmart app, so to speak, to scan their items as they shop, and then they pay using Walmart Pay. Now... It's interesting that this only unlocks in the app with a paid Walmart Plus membership because keep in mind there are some stores essentially offering a similar service for free to their members and this feels like somewhat of a throw-in for the company although one really has to wonder whether this service alone would be worth the $98 per year for anyone and I doubt it. I think the, the main draw is going to be shipping and the other things are fringe benefits. The third thing that Walmart Plus customers will get is they're going to receive Up to five cents per gallon off fuel at any Walmart related fuel station in the U.S. So this includes Walmart stations, Murphy USA stations, and Murphy Express locations as well. They don't have Sam's Club fuel locations in the pipeline yet, but they hope to soon add Sam's Club fuel stations to the mix. Should bring the total number of fuel centers offering discounts to around 2,500, pushing 2,600 nationwide. Now, again, As with Scan and Go, the fuel discount seems like a bit of a throw-in, just something to sweeten the pot a little bit. It's not like, let's say, Prime Video, where this is a reason to sign up for Prime. This program pales in comparison when you look at the fuel program to other loyalty programs that are free. And I think one loyalty program, certainly, that you look at is Kroger, which offers a spending-based program. Customers can get up to a dollar off a gallon of gas based on spending. In most markets, you get two to three cents off for just swiping your loyalty card. And we talked on the show a week ago with Mike Welsh of Mobiquity. And if you haven't checked out that interview, I highly encourage going back, listening to that episode, because Mike dove deep into some of the loyalty platforms for Come and Go and Wawa, as his company helped to develop those platforms as it ties in to those companies' apps. And Welsh said a little bit regarding C stores going far beyond the traditional models now. So, this program from Walmart is just coming up a bit short as far as fuel rewards programs are concerned because nothing really is tied into the in store experience like a lot of C stores are now doing. Quick Trips QT Rewards is a good example. It's overwhelmingly easy there for customers to earn five cents off per gallon. Just $10 of in store spend will get you five cents off per gallon or 20 gallons of gasoline on that purchase. Shell's program saves you three cents per gallon right out of the gate. Additional discounts for purchases at participating retailers, other retailers outside of Shell. So they kind of reach beyond. And again, all of these are unpaid loyalty programs at their base level. So you look at this, you compare this to Walmart Plus, you see that this is a fringe benefit essentially for Walmart Plus customers, this five cents a gallon. And it's up to five cents a gallon. It may not be the entire five cents per gallon. So Fringe benefit, nothing more. Now, in the official release, the chief customer officer at Walmart, Janie Whiteside, said that they wanted the service to be, and I quote, the ultimate life hack for customers. But the reality is, this is a dressing up and rebrand of their existing Delivery Unlimited program. Think of the Delivery Unlimited program as basically a trial for Walmart as a pilot program. Delivery Unlimited, as I mentioned, had the same prices, Launched in a limited number of stores last fall, about 1,400 stores late last September. So this is the maturation of this program out of the pilot stage. Think of it that way. It's complete with a rebrand and a few other benefits tossed in. When you compare it to Target's shipped platform, as I mentioned earlier, that carries a $99 per year price point. And you can't say with certainty when you look at it that Walmart Plus is necessarily that much better, with the exception of the $35 order minimum with shipped, but a shipped membership gets you delivery from Petco, CVS, other retailers depending on the market. And for those that make even passing use of Prime Music and Prime Video, the $119 for Prime seems certainly like a better deal on the surface, and that's before we even talk about the Whole Foods discounts baked in as well for those in a market with the Whole Foods. So, in the end, It's all about asking the question, what surplus value does this bring to the customer? But I think comparing it to Prime here and calling this Walmart's version of Prime might be the wrong thing to be doing. The company themselves said that in Delivery Unlimited and their research regarding Delivery Unlimited and their pilot of that program... They found, and I'm going to quote this from their last earnings call, a wide range of people who appreciate delivery and are looking for ways to be able to buy delivery and pay for it in a way provided by Delivery Unlimited. Now, this from John Ferner, who's the president and CEO of Walmart US, said that during their last earnings call. Additionally, and I think this is the big point here, that maybe a lot of analysts that are comparing Walmart Plus to Prime and thinking apples to apples here, They noted on that call that Walmart Plus is not intended to be a be-all, end-all for accessing Walmart products. It's not designed necessarily to be Walmart's prime. And keep in mind that Amazon, despite the fact that they have Whole Foods in their portfolio, is still largely an e-commerce pure play for the grand majority of things that they sell. And they've got, of course, third-party sellers on their platform. So you can't go and get those things in a brick-and-mortar store. Walmart Plus is simply intended to offer a program where people can subscribe and get that free shipping. It's basically another option. It's giving the customer optionality. And I would also encourage you to remember that Walmart's currently running trials for Instacart in California and Oklahoma. So Walmart Plus is not designed to be the only way to get Walmart products the way that Prime is designed to be the only way to get most Amazon products, at least get it quickly and with free shipping. Brett Biggs reinforced this, again the CFO of Walmart, during the Barclays Global Consumer Staples Conference last week, so this just took place last week. He was asked about Walmart Plus by the fantastic Karen Short, which by the way, Karen Short of Barclays is probably one of, if not our favorite, analysts in the retail space she always asks the best questions on earnings calls if you ever look at an earnings call transcript you can simply just skip straight to the question asked by karen short she is that good and always on point she asked several questions about walmart plus during the conference last week and big said you know look more people are used to memberships now than ever before it's not only germane to warehouse clubs anymore the membership model This offering, Walmart Plus, is simply just designed to give those people that are used to the subscription model, used to the membership model, that option at Walmart. So again, it's just providing another option for the customer. It's not meant to take over the world. It's not meant to compete with Amazon Prime. Just giving the customer another option and giving people a way to get Walmart merchandise quickly if they don't want to leave their house. And Biggs said that perhaps... The biggest part of the Walmart Plus expansion, and this was after a follow-up by Short, is the inclusion of general merchandise. They've noted that their grocery pickup and grocery delivery customers, and this is somewhat unlike some other retailers. It's in line with with others, certainly. But their grocery pickup and grocery delivery customers, including those that were wrapped into the Delivery Unlimited program, typically have a larger cart size than the in-store shopper. So what Walmart sees is they see this as a chance to grab a larger share of wallet in general merchandise for those willing to subscribe. Because, again, the prior program was very grocery oriented. Now you're looking at various household staples. You're looking at tech. You're looking at toys. You're looking at all of the other products that Walmart offers. And they feel like Walmart Plus, for those willing to subscribe, is a chance to grab a greater share of wallet in general merchandise. That is you certainly can't argue with and so while you look at this and say walmart plus is no amazon prime objectively it's not trying to be an amazon prime and so you applaud walmart certainly for being able to do this in so many markets and promising same-day delivery in so many markets i think obviously this is a positive thing for walmart going forward it's not going to be a negative thing unless they lose money hand over fist on the actual fulfillment which again they have worked so hard to get their fulfillment in line and get some local fulfillment centers set up so that that very thing wouldn't happen so that's the end of our new segment this week an in-depth look at walmart Plus and the program as far as walmart and walmart corporate sees it coming up once again after this break we'll have an interview with john cheney he's the ceo and co-founder of seek he's going to talk about the process behind 3D imaging and integrating AR and 3D imaging for e-commerce websites, not just apps, but e-commerce websites as well. We talked a bit a few weeks ago about the process behind 3D imaging for e-commerce sites, and today we'll dive into augmented reality a bit with the help of John Cheney, the CEO and co-founder of Seek. Seek counts among its clients, Walmart, Overstock, and Amazon, and is a leader in the imaging space for e-commerce companies and retail companies in general. John, thank you so much for taking the time today for the podcast.
0: Absolutely. Glad to be here.
1: First, I was wondering if you could discuss just a little bit for our listeners about what you at Seek do on the day-to-day so they kind of know the perspective that you bring.
0: Yeah, I mean, our mission at Seek is to bring 3D to everybody. While we definitely are one of the best in the world at doing augmented reality, augmented reality is just a fancy use case of 3D, right? And so what we really do is act as kind of the glue in between all of these different services that people use. For example, they use hardware like an iPhone or an Android or they use software like Instagram or Snapchat or just their computer browsing the internet. And we help brands navigate this kind of complex and fragile ecosystem and bring some stability to it and allow brands to push 3D content to their customers wherever those customers are.
1: So again, it all starts with the 3D imaging process and then building off AR from there. You know, I wanted to start with AR because it's garnered a lot of retail press over the last 10 years. Everyone tells us, you know, hey, it's coming, it's coming. And I remember interacting with some exhibits a few years ago at NRF that identified me as like a 25-year-old female and I'm 6'5 and I've got a full beard. So what strides has the AR technology made over the last 5 to 10 years to make it a little bit more friendly, not only for the retailer but also for the customer?
0: I think one of the biggest quantum leaps that we've experienced in the last couple of years is AR coming out of the app, right? For years, you've seen it inside of Ikea and Amazon and different apps. But the advent of web AR, being able to just be on a website, you click it and it just opens your camera without prompting you to download anything and sending you to an app store on a complicated process, just making that process two or three steps a little easier has, has really helped it explode in the last year or two.
1: That was actually something that I wanted to touch on a little bit because so often, in order to use these facets of technology, retail brands are kind of hung up on getting you to download an app. But that might not be convenient if you're buying a large piece of furniture. You don't plan on going back to that company for a couple of years. What were some of the challenges in terms of being able to take that technology and get it out of the app-based systems?
0: Yeah, you know, there's been a lot of help from the big players in the market, right? I mean, you have Apple and you have Google working on enabling their browsers to just do more, right? AR is obviously primarily a mobile technology. uh, And so they're slowly unlocking those browsers to be able to do more and more and more that doesn't require an app, which is a little scary for, you know, maybe another discussion with Apple and Google wondering about their app stores. And as the mobile web becomes more powerful, can you run things that used to only be available to apps? Can you run it in the web? And that's really what's happened in the appless space. And another component that's made that possible is companies like Seek, like what we do, focusing on getting those file sizes of 3D down to you know two megabytes, three megabytes, one megabyte, as opposed to what they historically have been, very, very big bloated files that are difficult to manage on a mobile phone, another facet of that that will only get better over time is just internet speeds, right? As 5G comes out, that's gonna become even more accessible. But five years ago, internet speeds on phones just weren't quite fast enough to deal with downloading a three or four or five megabyte file, a 3D file on the fly without causing a significant interruption in the user experience. So all of those things are kind of converging at the same time to allow AR to really take off on the mobile web.
1: You hit on an interesting point regarding file size because, again, you can't easily load if you don't have 5G, some of those enormous images. So to the layperson, maybe someone like me who's not that technologically savvy, how did that process work to be able to compress those what had been fairly large 3D image files?
0: One of the biggest problems that companies, brands, and and even people in the 3D and aerospace suffer from is 3D is the Wild West still. Digital images have been around for 20 plus years. Video files are approaching that as well. And so there's been a lot of standardization amongst those files. (laughs) My CTO likes to say that 3D files are six times harder than images or video (laughs) because they've got six sides, right? You're basically dealing with an image on each side and you've got structure that's digital and that takes up space. And so there's a lot of different elements that have to come together. And really it comes down to figuring out, okay, what is the best file type? Okay, great. Now do all of the different 3D viewers that are out there support that file type? And the answer right now is no. If you're trying to view one of the most common file types in 3D, which is say a GLB, it works on a Microsoft device, and then it doesn't work on a Google device, and then it doesn't work on an Apple device, and then it doesn't work in a Snapchat campaign, right? You have to constantly convert into all of these different files. And so not only is it difficult to find the best file type, and then make sure you get everything into that format. But then you have to be able to turn that file into 10 other formats, into the optimized file types for the viewers that are on the different platforms. And so this is, again, a complex ecosystem that brands, it's very costly for brands to try to navigate that on their own.
1: So compressing the images, making them easier to load is one way, certainly, to make it friendlier for the end user or the customer. What were some of the other considerations that you at Seek took into account when developing some of this AR software as a part of retail platforms to make it easier for the customer to use?
0: You know, just basic instructions, right? How do I do this, right? When you're showing this to a user for the first time, what are the little hints and tips and tricks that you can give to the user? to help them understand it. You know, I've been doing AR for five years now and so it's very simple for me to click on something and know, okay, I need to point my phone at the ground because I know that my phone needs to get some sort of measurement and the ground is where it's going to get that and lock onto the tracking. But to communicate, hey, your phone needs to lock onto the ground so that it can track the real world to the lay user, to the average user is very, very difficult and you don't want to use those many words, right? You just want to say, hey, point at the ground, move your phone back and forth. Right. And so tweaking those instructions and we've gone from very minimalistic, trying to use images and little animations to, Hey, let's just put a whole instruction screen <laughs> before they go into it. And after we've shown them that basically they click got it, and then it opens the camera. And so really finding that balance has been a challenge, but we're honing in on it. And lots of people are working on this same problem.
1: You mentioned you've been doing this in AR at least four five years. What are some of the best practices that you've seen as far as retailers' use of this technology?
0: The retailers that are focusing on making the process easy, right? The button has to be very apparent. It has to be very obvious. For example, here's a very basic use case or tweak that you can make to your augmented reality installation if you have it on your website. Don't use the term augmented reality. Don't use the term AR, Because most people don't know what that is. Most of the time when I say, oh yeah, I do augmented reality in our company, right? They say, oh, okay, yeah, so like VR, right? (laughs) I mean, they immediately jump to that. And so if you can use just dumbed down terms like just 3D, pretty much everybody in the world knows what 3D is, or maybe a 360 view, different things like that. So focusing on making the messaging simple and if possible, even putting it on brand, right? One of our customers is called Squatty Potty. They sell little stools that go next to your toilet and, you know, all of their advertising, all their branding, everything's very funny and lighthearted and everything. And so when they first installed Seek onto their website, they just said, view this in AR. And the button was not getting clicked on. Nobody even knew what that meant. Right. And so we jumped on with them and said, hey, you know what, how can we say this with your brand in mind? And they said, well, let's change it to view this squatty by your potty. Right. So that's funny. It's, it's engaging. It's, it's not confusing about. And you know, people were like, what does that mean? Well, I want to click that. And usage went up by about three or 400%. And so being able to just make that message very, very clear. There's all these technical things and where you put, but it just comes down to the wording even. And where that button is placed can make a big difference into how effective it is.
1: You mentioned usage going up when the branding works, when the wording works for that end customer. But once customers use AR, you see conversion rates go up. You see certainly brand recognition go up among that customer base. What are some of the facets that you would tell a retailer that might be on the fence about perhaps using AR, about how important it is to use AR or 3D technologies for their e-commerce sites?
0: I mean, there's so many things, right? I mean, obviously, just the improved you know, conversion rates, reduced returns, those numbers alone, I mean, just from a, an economical standpoint, you should be putting augmented reality as fast as you can on any website that sells a physical product It's going to help. But I think there's a few things that lead to that, right? I mean, I think it comes down to customers want to trust the retailer. They want to make a good buying decision. One of the issues that's out there today in 2019, the projection was made that there would be over a trillion dollars of products returned that were bought online in 2020. And that was before COVID hit and the whole world changed a little bit and e-commerce just skyrocketed. So I think that trillion dollar number is probably going to be under and... About 25% of the reasons that people are buying the wrong product is because they say it didn't fit or it didn't look good in my space, right? And so augmented reality can solve potentially a $250 billion problem by helping customers see how it looks, right? I think just as important to improving the sales conversion and speeding up the process and helping people feel better about it is helping that customer know that something's not going to work. Oh, I see that table in my kitchen now and I don't like it. Right? So, Hey, let's switch to another one. I'm glad I had augmented reality so I can do that. And so retailers can gain a lot of trust from their customers as they provide this technology and say, Hey, try this in your home. See what you think. If you don't like it, that's great. Find another thing until you find what you like. And then consumers make better, more educated decisions. And that's a win for everybody. It's going to reduce the return rate, which costs the consumer and the brand. And retailers are going to convert that customer much faster.
1: Kind of looking ahead, one of the things that we've heard from certain retailers, they say they're they're kind of hesitant to use it for a wider array of products because at this point, maybe the cost benefit isn't necessarily there. Where are we at in terms of making not only 3D technology but AR technology cost effective for a wider array of products so that it's not just, you know, furniture or eyeglasses or or some of the other aspects that we see it in currently?
0: I think today AR is extremely cost effective for any large item obviously that's going to be furniture, appliances, and even maybe in large items, maybe the wrong thing, but even like a blender, right? Going in your kitchen, what's it going to look like sitting on the counter, right? But anything in the furniture and appliances space, it's proven out. We have a lot of shoe customers actually that are seeing a lot of great use cases, even without some sort of an AR virtual try on, just seeing the shoe in front of you in 3D or in AR improves conversion. There are a lot of different products out there where people are saying, okay, hey, you know, do I need augmented reality for this cup that goes in my kitchen or do I need it for... Clothing, yet, right? Clothing, I think, is going to have its day, but it's not here yet. And that's going to require the phones and the trackers and all of the technology in there that tracks the body, right? That can accurately size the body, track the torso, see which way the arms are going, and all of that, right? All of those things have to come together. And the trackers, the AI just isn't quite there. To work inside of a mobile phone it actually works okay on a desktop with a very powerful you know graphics processor and a lot more computing power but i think we're probably two or three years away from where phones can accurately bring clothing into the conversation but honestly today just about any sizable product right so that would be medical devices that would be sports equipment that could be even shoes like i said furniture paintings on the wall art rugs I mean, there are so many different things that are sold online that today can benefit from that. Another one that maybe doesn't fit into these other categories in terms of big items that works really well today is toys, right? Lego is one of our customers and they bring their Lego sets to life with augmented reality. And so you can see it all put together in front of you. You can unbox it while you're there in the store, basically by you know, scanning a little QR code and having that come up. And so I think there are so many use cases out there today and it's probably more ready than most retailers think.
1: So we'll finish up on this. You talked about clothing being perhaps the the next frontier. What's next as far as AR the next five years?
0: Yeah, you know, I think the biggest thing that's going to change in AR in the next five years is how we consume AR. Right now it's our phones. And of course, you have a lot of companies out there that are trying to come out with glasses, right? Apple has hinted at their glasses and Google Glasses tried a while ago and they're coming back again. I think in about two years, we're going to see Apple come out with Apple Glasses. You know, they're not going to put it out until they're ready. They actually were going to come out with it in 2020, but they pushed it back because they said, hey, it's not ready. But when it is ready, just like they were able to take that Apple Watch and make it a mainstream product that people use and normalize these smartwatches in a bigger way. It's going to happen with glasses too that is the next frontier right being able to be hands-free and augmented reality is going to be a much bigger use than just you know we've talked mostly today about e-commerce and there are so many use cases for 3d and ar beyond e-commerce i mean you'll be in your car and instead of having to pick up your phone or look at your phone to see your directions it's just going to pop up on your glasses right and so that's a much safer better user experience for the driver and everybody involved you're gonna be able to look at people and have it look up their Facebook profile so you remember their name. You're gonna, of course, be able to do all the things we've talked about with commerce and so much more. But this immersive world is going to be married to the real world in a very substantial way that's really going to change our lives. And I think it's it's probably more like 10 years before the world is just you know the metaverse, right? But in five years, there will be substantial use cases. People will be wearing Apple glasses all day long and interacting all day long using augmented
1: reality. All right, some fantastic insight there once again. John, thank you so much for joining us here on the podcast.
0: Thanks so much, Tran. Have a great day. As always, we may have a position in or against companies we discuss on the podcast. Do not invest in stocks solely on the input of the podcast hosts.
1: Well, we thank John for joining us. And once again, you can actually check out their technology just about everywhere. Walmart, Overstock, Amazon, our clients. He mentioned Squatty Potty as well in terms of direct-to-consumer. So leading imaging firm there at Seek, and their products are many, many places out there in the retail landscape if you'd like to check them out. So our Looking Ahead segment for this midweek podcast has to do with distribution, And we talked briefly about Walmart's distribution setup for Walmart Plus earlier in the show. Well, Chewy, who, again, has just been killing it because of the number of people shopping for pet products online, because of the number of people adopting pets since the beginning of the pandemic, Chewy reported a lot of extra fulfillment spend during this last quarter. So what they've done is they've kind of quickly erected a fulfillment center in Kansas City, Missouri. This is not a full line fulfillment center though. This is a limited SKU fulfillment center with the idea that it's going to patch up possible holes during spikes in demand. Basically, it's only going to carry the most popular products and it's going to carry it in a volume where maybe the other fulfillment centers, the regular fulfillment centers, their typical setup wouldn't be able to carry that much volume. So it helps out their supply chain, they can better handle demand surges, and the biggest thing for the company is they're not having to pay shipping costs for split shipments. They're not having to ship products across the country. Again, you're talking about a centralized location in Kansas City, Missouri. So let's say a fulfillment center in North Carolina runs out. Instead of shipping that product from Phoenix, Arizona, instead they can ship it from Kansas City, Missouri and use that as a backup location. Fairly easy to ship to all areas of the country. From Kansas City. Now, the reason I'm looking ahead to it is not just about Chewy's bottom line and how much they're going to leverage this particular fulfillment center. And again, this basically just opened up during the company's second quarter. But I am interested to see, given the spikes in demand we saw during pandemic buying, how many companies will use this type of of fulfillment center, a limited fulfillment center with the most popular SKUs in a centralized location in the country. And this might be a platform that not only e-commerce companies use, brick and mortar companies you could foresee using this as well. So really, supply chain is one of the things that we like to look at here on the Retail Focus podcast. We like to talk about those distribution centers opening because oftentimes it tells you where a company is wanting to expand or where a company has expanded and is seeing strength. In this circumstance, it's an overall company strength situation in the case of Chewy. And they're setting this right there in a centralized location. So we're going to be watching this closely to see if other, not just e-commerce pure plays, but other large brick and mortars that might run low on products during times of pandemic, let's say, in the most extreme, but just during spikes in demand for whatever reason going on in the macro in the U.S. if more companies will adopt this and of course Sumit Singh very transparent on Chewy's earnings calls so we will be looking forward to future Chewy earnings calls to see exactly how this distribution center is affecting the company going forward well that'll do it for us on the Retail Focus podcast once again a big thanks to John Cheney for appearing as our interview guest this week Coming up in the next episode of Retail Focus, which will launch this weekend, we've got an interview with the co-founders of Truff, Nick Guillen and Nick Ageloni. Again, they founded Truff, which is a luxury brand of hot sauce with Truffle as the hero ingredient, so to speak. They're going to talk about the process behind getting their new product, which just launched two and a half years ago, into retail stores throughout the country. They're in Whole Foods, they're in Wegmans, they're going to talk about that process, and about interfacing with retailers in terms of trying to garner that ever-important shelf space. So excited for that particular interview, and we'll also look at more retail news and notes. We thank everyone for listening and hope you'll tune in next time.
0: This has been the Retail Focus Podcast. For more, visit our website at retailfocuspodcast.com. And subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. Follow us on Twitter at Retail Podcast.